0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your
1: host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Here we are wrapping up what's been another busy and interesting week. We've got lots to talk about. Um, looks like they're getting close on the farm bill. We'll talk about that in just a moment. We'll talk markets with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. We'll talk with Nathan Fields with the National Corn Growers Association. They're going to work with an environmental group that's not always been uh, considered a friend of agriculture. We'll talk about that alliance. We'll also take a look at uh, some animal protein uh, outlook for the coming year. We'll talk with Don Close with Rabo Finance. And uh, we're going to talk in just a moment biofuels with Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters. But first one, just a quick update on the farm bill. There's been a lot of public uh, uh, back and forth between the leaders of the House and ag committees. And it it didn't sound good, but it looks like maybe they're starting to put their differences aside and maybe getting close to getting a deal done. Uh, House and Senate ag leaders yesterday Uh, both saying that they're close to reaching a deal. The nutrition title that they're working on, of course, is one of the big uh, stumbling blocks here. Evidently, what they're working on is a way to blend the Senate and House proposals. Both sides, though, not giving any details at this point. Some other issues they're still working on, the conservation title and regulatory language, and um, those talks are still ongoing. House Ag Committee Chair Mike Conaway says there are a few things still to work on, but we're darn close. So that's more optimistic than the comments we've been hearing out of uh, the leadership here in the last few days. So maybe, just maybe, we're about to get uh, something done. Of course, then there's the process of getting it uh, passed on the floor. So those hurdles and challenges still remain. But uh, this would be a big one if they can get some kind of compromise in the uh, conference committee. So we'll keep a close watch on that. That'll be a big story heading into Thanksgiving. And then Right after Thanksgiving as well. All right, uh, let's bring in Jarrett Renshaw, national energy markets reporter for Reuters. Jarrett, thanks for joining us. Kind of a these things kind of uh, rains or pour and pours all at once here, and then it slacks off, and then we get another flurry of uh, of stories here. We're back uh, hearing more about waivers, uh, exemptions on the, the RFS. Uh, bring us up to date. What's going on right now?
2: Sure. Well, we had a story this week about a, a group of biofuel producers who were challenging or actually requested a stay or an injunction against the EPA um, for issuing any more of these small refining waivers. It had to deal with, uh, there was uh, two, two oil companies, Holly Frontier and Sinclair, that were given retroactive RIN credits for previous denials of their small refining waivers. And I guess essentially EPA created these 2018 credits uh, to replace 2016 and 15 ones. Um, and uh, the biofuel group says, well, that's not legal, and uh, and we don't want you issuing any more until we kind of conclude or make the judge make some ruling about uh, the legality of those moves. So, and what we have, I guess, is we have at least one more 2016 small refining waiver application pending, and presumably, if that gets approved. EPA would have to then use the retroactive credit thing again which obviously the biofuel groups think is, is not something that you know they have the statutory authority to do so you know there's a lot of there's certainly other legal cases challenging their authority so I think we'll start seeing these legal cases start and get mature now and I think we'll start seeing some some action and get some clarity about how legal what uh, the actions the EPA did take right so I think we'll get some clarity on that in the upcoming
3: months
1: you know it I guess, we all want clarity, and we want it to be as simple as possible. It, it would be nice if, if, if we just knew, okay, here are, here's the criteria. Here are the boxes, and you have to be able to check all those boxes in order for, to receive a, a, a waiver. But I guess it's not that simple. There's a lot of gray area here, and we just don't know what criteria always that the EPA uses.
2: Yeah, I always go back to it. It's something, and actually what's what really got me interested in the issue in the first place is, you know, whenever there's companies or a citizen asking for some kind of uh, public financing subsidy or something along those lines, some 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 something of value from the government, usually you give up some measure of privacy when that happens. You know, and that's part of the game. Mm-hmm. You ask for something, you got to give up some measure of privacy to get it. Um, that doesn't seem to be the case here. You know, these companies ask for it, the EPA gives it. And we, have, we really have no way to determine. The public has no way to determine whether these people are getting favors, not favors. Um, and, and then you breed the, uh, these kinds of accusations, right? Um, so there has to be a better way that the public gets a better understanding of the process, can feel comfortable about it, as opposed to, like, kind of searching for a, a light switch in the dark. I just, it just, to me, it's just not the way you know, government
1: should work. We're talking with Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters, and I would think some of these refineries that want waivers, uh, if they think that door is going to close, they're going to get their, uh, you know, get their request in as soon as they can uh, to try to to beat any deadline that might be coming. That the, would seem like there'll be fewer of them in the future.
2: Sure. Well, yeah. You know, well, another kind of thing to watch is, you know, usually uh, these 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 waivers are granted or approved towards the end of the year because the, these refineries. Have to show some some hardship, and you can't have a hypothetical one. So you have to actually provide financial information. So it'll be interesting, you know, we Rins are trading at you know pennies. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it will be interesting to see whether the EPA um, issues as many as they have in the past. There's signals that they won't, um, because they acknowledge that the RIN market is down, and quite frankly, that might give them an out. A political output as you know mike this will then maybe trigger some lawsuits on the refining side Probably. and uh, next yeah. you know you know where, where the, the, the pendulum shifts to the other side um that's kind of been the way the story's gone
1: well that you mentioned those rent values going down so much i mean how how does the oil industry then continue to claim or have any basis for their argument that they're being hurt by the rfs and that it's costing them so much
2: well, certainly you've heard less and less of that this year. I think the, the most I heard when I talk to industry folks is that they want to, you know, they want to preserve the small refining hardship program at any cost, right, because mm-hmm. you know, that's a proxy for them for getting low wind prices. So um, the preservation of that program, even if you don't have any skin in the game, like a Valero who doesn't have any refineries that that, that qualify because of their size, meaning any individual refineries that qualify, um They've spent a lot of resources and uh, to to make sure that the program is preserved because ultimately it drives down the cost of rent prices. So you know, I, so I think it's kind of shifted. At least the rhetoric has shifted to not you know not we're getting killed or we may be getting killed if rent prices go up. To like you know, let's use this uh, let use this small refining program. Let's preserve this because we think you know whatever they've used multiple arguments, but um, it's in their best interest, financial interest, to make sure that. As many hardship waivers get granted as possible, even even when none of them none of their refineries qualify.
1: And meanwhile, we wait now for those RVO numbers for 2019.
2: Sure, yeah, I don't think there's going to be any surprises. Most the most people I talk to um, expect pretty much, you know, the same um, as the as the proposal earlier this year. You know, we have a pretty staggered calendar here. We got the RVOs later this month. Again, we could be surprised. I don't. I'm not anticipating any surprises. I think what 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 we've already seen is what we'll get. Um, then we got the reset in January, which you know this could be chock full of surprises. And then we have the E15 will roll, rolls out in February. So I think we have uh, you know some things to watch on the calendar coming up.
1: All right, we'll keep a close watch on them and talk uh, talk with you about them and watch for your reporting. Thanks, Jarrett. Thank you much.
2: All right, Mike. Take it. Easy.
1: Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets reporter for Reuters. Up next, the Global Animal Protein 2019 Outlook. Still growth in global animal protein, but it is slowing. We'll talk about those numbers next on AOA.
0: Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture the farm bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and healthcare. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network.
4: A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem,
5: seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope.
4: Not tomorrow.
5: Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit
1: StandUpToCancer.org to learn more.
6: Together, we can save lives.
3: It's not just storing grain, it's storing quality. At FS, quality isn't just a promise, it's a statement. Our grain systems experts stay focused on what's ahead by providing state-of-the-art grain systems that protect grain quality in the bin, along with larger capacity bins that keep us moving forward. We're always looking for ways to optimize operations and ensure our customers are ready for what's next. So visit fsystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next.
5: I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over.
7: Call Consolidated Credit now. 1 800 489 7204. 1 800 489 7204. That's 1 800
4: 489 7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM 80031.
8: Information
0: America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back
1: to Mike Adams. And welcome back to Adams on Agriculture. As we um, wrap up the week looking at the trade situation, there are new numbers that indicate that the tariffs that are still in place are really uh, impacting two big markets for U.S. pork producers, American pork exports to Mexico have dropped 10% in September when compared with September of a year ago. Exports to China sank even more, 33% during that month. So these tariffs are really hitting the U.S. pork industry hard. Uh, The numbers released yesterday in an Ag Department Economic Research Service Outlook report shows exports to those two countries dropped on a quarterly basis. Shipments to Mexico down 5.6% in the third quarter and by nearly 29% to China compared with the third quarter a year ago. So those are big drops. Both countries targeted pork for their retaliatory duties in response to the U.S. duties on steel and aluminum. Uh, to Mexico and China's retaliation was in response to U.S. tariffs meant to punish Beijing for the uh, technology transfer and intellectual property issues. So uh, we'll be keeping a close watch on them. And uh, wow, those are significant numbers that the pork industry is dealing with. We're going to talk with the pork producers on Monday and get more thoughts on that and um, see you know, there's a lot of hope right now that uh, there's going to be some breakthrough in talks with China. But we've had that hope before, and uh, so far nothing has come from it. So we'll we'll keep watching that closely. Meanwhile, there is a report out from Rabo Agri Finance looking at uh, animal pr- pr- protein levels for 2019 global animal protein, and it shows that growth in global animal protein continues. But uh, it is slowing and um, it shows that there are going to be some real challenges, of course, in certain parts of the world, such as China. But North America, they're expecting some strong growth in production with production increases in all species led by pork and exports, they are saying, will increase, too, while beef exports uh, will continue to lead export growth as a percentage. That's for North America. In Europe, poultry production continues to grow, but pork and beef are stable. European exports will grow, and biosecurity will become even more important. This is well with the backdrop, of course, of uh, ongoing discussions with Europe and ongoing issues that we have with them. In Brazil, production, animal protein production is growing across all species there, and um, exports expected to increase from there as well. Southeast Asia, poultry leads Some modest production growth. Uh, They have some cost pressures that are going up and challenging uh, their local production and imports. And as far as Australia and New Zealand are concerned, beef and sheep meat production will decline in Australia and New Zealand. Limited supplies will maintain strong livestock prices uh, there. So that's just some of the highlights from the Global Animal Protein 2019 Outlook from Rabo Agri Finance. All right. I want to get back to the uh, the farm bill situation. We told you it looks like they're getting close. There, there had been some reports that maybe coming up on Monday, uh, we would get some uh, word. So you know that that was starting to sound positive, and then we started hearing that. Um, they're kind of putting their differences aside. It, it's kind of gotten where they were really sniping at each, of, each other back and forth, taking their shots back and forth at each other in public, which is never a good sign. But uh, then they've kind of backed off now, and we're starting to um, – now we're starting to hear that they're getting closer to working out some kind of a deal. But they've got a lot of things that they're working on still. It's not like it's a done deal. And even when they come to some kind of uh, agreement, then they've got to get it passed – In the Senate and the House. So we'll see how how that works. They've got to have something that will pass on the floor, and that's always going to be a challenge. Possibly Monday, we'll be watching very closely on Monday that maybe that's where we're going to get some kind of breakthrough and announcement on uh, the Farm Bill. Senate Majority Leader McConnell uh, is pushing hard to get this done. He's got an interest in it. He wants hemp production, Uh, he's been pushing for that, and he wants his Farm Bill done. McConnell saying we will finish the farm bill before the end of the year. He's been very strong in his commitment on that. Now, we've talked about how short a window they have here. There are just 12 joint legislative days left in this lame duck session. So that's not very much time, although they could add some more to that schedule if they choose to do so, but when you've got the farm bill to take care of, you've got the, the spending issues to take care of, and some other big items that they still have to address, it eats up that time and eats up uh, that calendar very, very quickly. Uh, a lot of talk, a lot of folks looking at the uh, upcoming G20 meeting, that's where it's hoped there'll be some kind of breakthrough with China. Um, remains to be seen if indeed that will happen and if so even how significant will be we talked yesterday with Jim McCormick with Allendale just even some sign of a uh, a a ceasefire a truce would uh, be seen as a positive at this point so we're waiting to see what will come from that so all these issues are kind of swirling here as we go into uh, Thanksgiving week next week and we've got a lot to uh, kind of sort through before the end of the year. Okay, some other issues that are coming up. It's kind of interesting to see how the um, agriculture and the environmental communities seemingly are taking steps now to maybe work together instead of having such an adversarial relationship and to the point where we're seeing groups like the National Corn Growers uh, going to work with the Environmental Defense Fund, uh, that group, and that's uh, something we're going to be talking about here in this next segment. Um sustainability is such a huge issue and instead of fighting with each other perhaps we're seeing signs of uh, groups working together and we're going to talk about that coming up next with the national corn growers association this is a uh, pretty significant really when you see two groups that have really you know uh, the environmental defense fund is not ever been considered i don't think a friend of agriculture now the national corn growers and the environmental defense fund this is being called a first of its kind partnership they're going to join forces to help farmers and rural communities meet the challenge of protecting the environment while maximizing productivity and profit looking forward to talking Coming up next with Nathan Fields. He's the National Corn Growers Association Vice President of Production and Sustainability. How can these two groups work together to do that? Because it seems like that those two things have been um, where we've butted heads. Uh, agriculture obviously wants to protect the environment, no doubt about that. But also wanting to be able to keep productivity growing, and profit, of course, uh, to keep uh, farmers in business. And a lot of times these environmental groups say that uh, that's where the rub comes, that uh, in the effort to get productivity and profit, that actually agriculture is – not protecting the environment. That, of course, is something that uh, agriculture strongly disagrees about. So uh, how do they put those kind of differences aside and work together? We're going to find out coming up here in just a little bit. Then also we want to talk some markets uh, going into the uh, holiday week next week. Uh, Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone will be joining us as well. Speaking of the uh, corn growers, just want to mention the next Tuesday I will be in normal Illinois, Uh, for the Illinois Corn Growers Annual Meeting and uh, be talking with a number of uh, ag leaders there, including uh, uh, scheduled to be in attendance as the president of the National Corn Growers Association. So we're going to have a chance to talk about some of those issues with them as well. A couple of other notes uh, as we head into uh, this holiday weekend again, or the holiday week next week. And wow, I still have trouble. How about you? Still have trouble getting my head around the fact that next week is Thanksgiving. Although, here in Illinois, where I'm at, we had a heavy, wet snow yesterday. That kind of got me thinking more about holidays and uh, even more of a Christmas feel yesterday. So uh, it's that time for sure. Um, so we'll be watching um, the, what the House and Ag Committee conferees come up with, uh, some kind of uh, a compromise on the SNAP issue. And there's some research out right now showing that as many as 1.1 million million households will see a cut in their SNAP benefit levels under the House Farm Bill. But that analysis also found that the benefits would go up for roughly a fifth of SNAP households. That would be 4 million households. So um, kind of interesting, how are they going to massage those numbers and, and come up with something in the middle that... House Republicans will vote for, and that President Trump will be happy enough with to sign-off on, that remains to be seen. All right, so those are the issues at hand. Coming up next, agriculture and environmental groups working together, adversaries putting differences aside to work together, national corn growers will be working with the uh, Environmental Defense Fund. We're going to find out how that's going to go and what they hope to be able to accomplish. That's next. You're on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
0: It's time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. We've got an easier tone in soybean futures an hour into the trading day. Not too far from unchanged in the beans. Corn futures a penny or two lower. We are and a fraction higher in Chicago wheat in Kansas City. Minneapolis spring wheat near unchanged. Weekly export sales for all wheat totaling 16.1 million bushels for 2018-19. Total commitments said to be down 15 percent from a year ago for the same week USDA reporting a little over 17 million bushels of soybean export sales for 2018-19 only a slight amount for 2019-20 private exporters reported sales of 100,000 metric tons of soybeans for delivery to unknown destinations during the 2018-19 marketing year to USDA Friday we saw a narrow mix in overnight grain trade holiday mode trade begins in earnest next week the short-term soybean trend remains positive but daily momentum indicators choppy and lackluster in soybeans the bulls face strong overhead resistance for january at nine dollars and three quarters of a cent as long as that area of resistance holds firm choppy trade can be expected sellers knocked march corn off the intraday high on thursday trending too lower on this friday it's going to take a rally above major resistance at three ninety and a half or a sell-off below major support at three seventy two and a quarter to generate any kind of fresh momentum livestock at the merck and live cattle futures december down thirty five at one fourteen seventy seven feeder cattle march steady one forty four fifty five december lean hogs up two dollars twenty five cents fifty nine thirty two You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson.
6: All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how
1: large
2: or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. FOR DIGGING PROJECTS BIG OR SMALL, MAKE THE CALL TO 811, BROUGHT TO YOU BY COMMON GROUND ALLIANCE.
0: INFORMATION FARMERS AND RANCHERS NEED TO KNOW. ADAMS ON AGRICULTURE. NOW BACK TO MIKE ADAMS.
1: SO USUALLY NATIONAL CORN GROWERS ASSOCIATION AND ENVIRONMENTAL DEFENSE FUND ARE Two groups we usually don't talk about in the same sentence unless there's some kind of disagreements. But now we're talking about that they are going to work together in a first-of-its-kind partnership to help farmers and rural communities meet the pressing challenge of protecting the environment while maximizing productivity and profit. Here to tell us about it is Nathan Fields. He's the National Corn Growers Association Vice President of uh, Production and Sustainability. Nathan, thank you for joining us Wow! When I first saw this, it, it really jumped out at me. Wait a minute—these uh, two groups going to work together? How did this come about?
7: Well, thanks, Mike, for for having me on. But yes, yes, this is a kind of a non-traditional partnership, and it's been a goal for, for NCGA to work to to reach out to these non-traditional partners and see where we can, can leverage each other. And EDF has been a very pragmatic uh, piece of the environmental community that we felt that we we could work with.
1: All right, so how are you going to work with them?
7: Sure, sure. So we've kind of set up a framework. We set uh, set up an MOU um, on on uh, some goals around outreach and communications and policy on farm engagement and kind of what programs we could work on together. And honestly, we've been working with SHP or with uh, with EDF for years. Uh, with our soil health partnership, they're one of our steering committee members, and and that really solidified a, a relationship that that began uh, almost with the last farm bill, where they're helping us out with some conservation number uh, measures. So, uh, you know, we've been working with uh, EDF. This just more formalizes what we can do together and exploring those areas that that we ha- share some common common values and common goals.
1: So your relationship then has not been always adversarial you have found ways to work together in the past
7: um absolutely absolutely we we recognize that we're not going to agree on 100% of things but we're not going to let that detract from some some of the areas where we can strengthen each other uh you know we we do have some active dialogue going on about the monarch butterfly uh, ensuring that that does uh, not get listed under the Endangered Species Act. But then, you know, we're looking at uh, how those programs or what programs we can support together and how we can work with fish and wildlife as, as a group, you know, uh, an ag association and an environmental association on how we can work through, you know, monarch populations and things like that. So that's kind of a good example of where we can leverage each other's uh, assets.
1: Okay, so when you talk about helping farmers and rural communities meet the challenge of protecting the environment, while at the same time maximizing productivity and profit, that's where the rub has come many times. How do you see that? Uh, how you see uh, this going as far as being able to find common ground on that with the Environmental Defense Fund, uh, because uh, groups like this have been critical of production agriculture um, as far as when it comes to the environment and agriculture, saying we, you know. We're, we are protecting the environment, but we also have to have profit, we have to increase our production. How do we make those two work together?
7: Right. and that's what differentiates uh, EDF from, from some of those, uh, some of the other groups is that they have from the beginning, at least since I've been working with them, always understood that economics are going to drive these practices. So while we can explore all these different uh, all these different you know conservation practices and whatnot that they would like to see done, um, they have a clear eye on, on understanding the economics behind it and making sure those economics uh, work, and that's what's going drive, to drive adoption. So you have to think creatively, creatively with some of these things. Uh, you have to think about how we can approach it through policy, through regulation, that can really end up helping the grower in the long run. Um, a grower can't implement conservation practices if he's not profitable. So let's look at profitability and the economics of it and, and, then, and then begin to parlay that in greater conservation measures.
1: We're talking with Nathan Fields with the National Corn Growers Association. So maybe I've had the wrong impression of the Environmental Defense Fund. They are not then one of those groups that uh, would f- try to force uh, practices on uh, agriculture that would basically put them out of business?
7: Correct correct. There are some uh, some groups out there that do provide us those challenges. Uh, but when, since EDF has really uh, expanded their footprint in the food and the ag space, uh, like I said, they've always been really pragmatic about the economics and, and how that factors in. Uh, the people that I've worked with there, they understand that, that aspect. Um, sure, on some of the technology pieces and technology adoption, how that's gone, we've had our differences in the past. But I think EDF understands that by working with the agricultural community, they can have a, a, a really great impact, and we're, we're that we're that touch point for them.
1: You know, I guess I've I'm probably a little skeptical because I've seen like animal rights groups say they want you know, that their goal is to just take care of animals uh, when what we've seen is they have an agenda of just wanting to do away with uh, uh, animal agriculture altogether. So I guess that's why I was skeptical. Is this a group that just kind of wants to work with you, but their goal was really to to do away with modern uh, production practices for agriculture? But you don't think that's the case then?
7: No, no, Um, and another really good example of that is that they've been involved with our Soil Health Partnership, as I mentioned before, Uh, and the Soil Health Partnership is looking at what practices growers can pick from, from a menu of different conservation practices, what works on their farm, what actually improves soil health, is it certain tillage systems, is it cover crops and the like, and we're doing, you know, replicated trials at commercial scale, Um, but part of that analysis, part of that is what do the economics look like you know, five, six years after those practices are implemented, we're, we're helping support those growers, implement those practices. But we want to get some good, good data out of it that not only shows that, you know, soil health is improved, but the economics also improve. Um, and that's a really, really basic foundation that that helped develop trust between EDF and NCGA, um, without that understanding, it, it, it's a very you know it can be a very difficult relationship. But it seems to have been there uh, for quite a while now.
1: Well, that's encouraging. I think the more we can get uh, agriculture and these other groups uh, working together, that's that's better for everyone. So, what are the first steps going to be then? Uh, what should we be watching for?
7: Well, what should you watching for? Well, we've we've developed some working groups, and we're kind of exploring some of those. Areas where where we could work better together. Um, we've already started with soil health. We have some programs around, uh, you know, monarch butterfly and possible endangered species act reform. Uh, we won't agree on 100 percent of things, but there might be some good provisions that we could we could work on together. Um, beyond that, we you know we do have um, continued meetings uh, about. You know how we can say adjust some of the the CRP uh, regulations that give growers more options. Um, not working at it a legislative way, but hopefully at a regulatory way, um, and and kind of free up those options, give growers options that they can utilize that CRP in a way that's both uh, you know less restrictive, still environmentally friendly, um, but 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 doesn't hurt their operations.
1: So you're gonna you're gonna seek out common ground, but also it sounds like there may be times that you agree to disagree
7: yes and and we've been very open about that that we can work we can work an issue uh until the 11th hour and if if, if it's a position that's a, a, a step too far for for mcga and our board um it's completely understood that either one of us could walk away from that work at any point in time no harm no foul let's let's try and find uh another place where we can leverage each other
1: so that's important. It's not. I, I would imagine some farmers are fearful you're just giving over total control to to an environmental group. So that's not the case here.
7: No, that's not. No, uh, we made it very clear from the beginning that uh, any one of our our group's policies would not usurp the others. Uh, So we're going to be respectful, Uh, we're going to be respectful where we disagree, uh, but understand that there are some really key areas that if we walk into uh, an office or a situation together, it can be very, very powerful.
1: Obviously, Nathan, uh, sustainability, and different people define sustainability in different ways, but we're this is the key moving forward for agriculture. And last week, the National Corn Growers and the United Soybean Board and National Pork Board announced that the, those three groups were coming together to work on sustainability issues together. So this is more and more a priority for agriculture, isn't it?
7: Um, absolutely. And it's, and it's redefining, you know, what, we, what we've been implementing for uh, generations. I mean, growers understand the value of their land Um, They've been trying to take care of it better every season. Uh, We've been sustainable for a very long time. We just have to package it and find where the next steps are in a way uh, that that the public can understand, that the environmental community can understand, the way the government can understand. Um, And sustainability is a great term for that. Um, It really resonates with people, resonates with the public. And so the United Soybean Board and Pork Board, um, yeah, we came together because we're all working on, you know, life cycle analysis and different sustainability programs. Well, let's really define that in the value chain, uh, because if corn is a, a significant footprint and in the, in the pork uh, footprint, then we need to understand, are they making the right assessments? Are they making the right assumptions about uh, corn production that yields a good message to their customers? Um, the more pork that's uh, the more pork that's sold out there, the more corn is fed. So uh, we have a, a, a significant mutual interest there.
1: And as you said, it's it's often misunderstood what agriculture is doing and why they do things a certain way. So that needs to be explained better.
7: Absolutely, absolutely. Our story of food production has become a real high priority for for the consumer, um, and growers have been traditionally uh, very very happy with producing the crop, providing for the public, providing food, um, and, you know, and they, and they feel very, very happy about that. Uh, but now the public wants to know more, and I don't think we should shy away from that. So really engaging, being proactive, talking about our conservation practices and, and, and contextualizing them to the, you know, increased sustainability of food production year in and year out is that great opportunity to do so.
1: Yeah, it is a great opportunity. Nathan, thank you very much. We appreciate it. We'll look forward to watching how this goes. Thank you.
7: Appreciate it, Mike. Thanks a lot.
1: Take care. Nathan Fields with the National Corn Growers Association. Again, the Environmental Defense Fund and National Corn Growers Association joining together to uh, work to help farmers and rural communities meet the challenge of protecting the environment while still maximizing productivity and profit. Stay with us. More coming up here on AOA. Adams on Agriculture.
6: We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now. And drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way.
3: On road or off road, you'll find the FS lubricant you need from our full line of premium quality products. At FS, our lubricants use the highest quality base oils, and latest additive technology to meet and exceed most manufacturer's specifications. Advanced protection against wear ensures you'll get maximum value from both your lubricant and equipment investments. Squeeze every bit of performance out of every piece of equipment you own. Let the FS Energy Specialists help you go further. Go further with FS. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information.
5: When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover tar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council.
4: A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow.
5: Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit
1: StandUpToCancer.org to learn more.
6: Together, we can save lives. We all want more time with our dads, brothers, partners, friends, and our sons time for more conversations, more catch-ups, more of what life's all about. Now is our time to make it happen. Together, we can stop men dying too young by tackling the big issues. Prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health, suicide. It's time to act. Sign up at Movember.com
7: and raise funds to help change the face of men's health.
6: information america's
0: farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams
1: and joining us now is arlen suderman chief commodities economist for intl fc stone arlen as if uh, we didn't have enough to worry about with china now we have brexit concerns for the markets too
8: yeah we certainly do the trade uh, doesn't like uncertainty and uh, if you get a hard Brexit in Europe, it could create a lot of problems for the European economy. That's the fear. thought we had a trade deal earlier this week, um, but as uh, members of uh, Prime Minister Theresa May's party began to read it, uh, they began to put, withdraw their support and now calling for her job, which could happen over the next couple of weeks with the vote of no confidence so uh, we may or may not have a deal and uh, so that's that's creating a lot of anxiety uh, not only in europe but on wall street as well
1: yeah wall street it's a uh, wow since the election it's been a tough go there i mean there there was the big jump the day after and then things have been uh, working the other way since
8: Yeah, we had the big gains in 2017, but 2018 has been much different. It's very common, if you look at uh, the action of the equity markets, for them to pull back in the second year of a first-term president. That's because in the first year of the president, he does a lot of the popular things he ran on. Then in the second year, he goes about doing the tough things. And uh, we can debate whether he did it right or whatever, but I think it still fits with the pattern of, first-term presidents doing, handling the tough issues that they want to handle during that second term. And that creates a lot of anxiety on Wall Street. So it's very normal to have a lot of volatility in that second year. And typically, as you get into third year, they start thinking about their re-election campaign, and they start easing back on some of those things, and you start getting some uh, more optimism returns. So I think everyone in the equities and the commodities would like to see something like that
1: of course, that's the way it's happened historically. Uh, That's kind of been the playbook. We've got a president now, obviously, that uh, has a different playbook, right?
8: Or some would argue whether he has a playbook. (laughs) I think he probably does have a playbook, but it's a mystery to a lot of people, and he certainly is out of the box of a typical politician. So I think anyone who tries to uh, say what he's going to do maybe better be cautious because only he knows.
1: Yeah. He, we he, we don't know if he has a playbook or not. We know he has a Twitter account, for better or for worse. <laughs> he has a Twitter account. All right, let's look at China. I, I just, I'm concerned. I mean, you know, the G20 meeting's coming up, and there's so much hope that uh, something's going to get worked out between us and China. Wow, there's a lot of uh, uh, anticipation there, and I just wonder if, if uh, it's realistic or not to think something all of a sudden magically is going to happen in that meeting I mean there's so many differences that would seem to be big long-term issues Uh, what can we realistically you think uh, hope for in these meetings
8: well I I remain skeptical of whether we're going to see it, because we could have had a trade deal if it was just about narrowing the trade gap. We could have had a trade deal back in May, but this is about much more. There was a high-level meeting scheduled for earlier this month where trade was expected to be the primary topic of conversation, and instead much of it turned out to be about the South China Sea, and the United States... uh, demanding that China withdraw some of its uh, air, air missile defense systems and stuff from disputed areas of South China Sea that international courts have deemed as international waters, but China is trying to claim for its own. These are major shipping lanes, international shipping lanes. So things like that have really... Become significant in these trade talks, and so China sees economic superiority and military superiority as one and the same, and it has indicated that it wants to be economically superior, and so I think President Trump gets that. Um, I don't know whether uh, America does or not as a whole. Um, and uh, whether this is the right way or not, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know that. But uh, that what that does tell me, though, if President Trump is on that line of thinking, then he's in which he appears to be. Then I don't think he's going to accept a deal unless it means significant systemic reforms in how China behaves in the South China Sea and elsewhere, and that includes North Korea as well. And I'm not sure China is hurting bad enough yet to make that kind of concessions to a president that they know is going to face another election in two years.
1: We tend to get tunnel vision and see it basically as a soybean issue, uh, but it's much, much more than that. But speaking of soybeans, we've seen a little strength in soybean prices in recent days. What do you see happening there as we head into the holiday
8: well, first, we've got a lot of young fund managers who don't remember 4 and $5 soybeans, so they yes. they see these soybean prices as being awfully cheap, and the farmers are saying, yes, they are. They are cheap. And I understand that. When you look at the fundamentals, though, the fundamentals of supply and demand, and they really argue for much cheaper soybeans than what we currently have. That doesn't mean wow. that the market has to go down to that level. But the market does have a job of making sure that we reduce soybean acres this this next spring. Right now, all of that is pretty much on hold, waiting to see if we get a trade deal. And that's pretty much propping up the board right now, um, is waiting to see if we get a trade deal ahead of the G20 meeting. After November 30th, If we don't have a deal, it's going to be real interesting to see how the market behaves at that point. Will it be a clear-cut, no, there's no deal, and trade talks break off and more sanctions are put on or more tariffs are put on? Or will it be talks are happening, we're continuing to make progress, and so the funds kind of still hold out the hopes? That'll be one of the keys. But by next spring, the market needs to try to force farmers out of their rotations to move away from soybeans and that's something that's difficult to do. May take lower prices if, with no trade deal, if I uh, use a 49.1 bushel trend yield in my balance sheet, I have to take acres below 80 million um, to try to get anything reasonably close to five or six hundred million bushel carryout for the 2019-2020 marketing year.
1: All right, kind of scary when you talk about needing to go lower on soybean price. That uh, That's uh, not something that the farmers want to hear, that's for sure. they got a lot of beans now they, they want to sell, but uh, at a higher price, not a lower price, that's for sure. All right, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, what happens with these meetings with China. Arlen, as always, we appreciate your perspective.
8: Thank you, Mike.
1: Take care. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities analyst, uh, economist for INTL FC Stone. With that, we head to the weekend back on Monday. We'll talk more about the weather, the farm bill and uh, exports. So hope you'll join us right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.